0: All scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Good evening. I would like to thank everybody for coming out tonight. I would especially like to thank the visitors for coming. I would like to thank Jared and the elders for giving us the opportunity to be able to preach and do the services tonight tonight I would like to discuss what the Bible says about the creation versus what the world says about evolution all you hear these days is how there was a big bang and then everything started appearing if you will turn to Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invi- invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can't see anything about God except for what he has created. Now I'd like to talk about what God says about the beginning. My first point tonight is the creation account. Nothing, there was nothing on this earth at the beginning. The first thing that ever happened was God created the heavens and the earth. He created a place for us to live and a place for us to go after life. According to Genesis 1-2, it was dark. The first thing God did was he created light. Then God spoke and there was light. God saw it and liked what he had done. Then God divided the light from the dark. He called, the, he called the light day and the dark night. On the second day, God created the firmament. God spoke that there to, for there to be a firmament, and then there was. God divided the water from under the firmament from water above the firmament. According to Genesis 1-8, God called the firmament heaven. And... Just like with the light, God's word has a lot of power, and you will see that throughout this sermon. Then, on the third day, God created the earth. Once again, God spoke, and then there was land. Waters gathered in one place, and they were called the seas. And the land gathered in one place, and he called them the earth. On the third day, also on the third day, God created flowers, grass, and trees. Then on the fourth day, God created seasons, days, and years. According to Genesis 1:16, God created two great lights, which he used to divide the light from darkness. The greater light, which is the sun, was to rule the day, and the lesser light, which is the moon, he used to rule the night. God also made stars. Next, it was the fifth day. God made birds and sea creatures. God blessed what He created and wanted them to multiply. After that, it was the sixth day. God created cattle and beasts. Again, whatever God spoke happened. God also made male and female. He told them to multiply and to fill the earth. God gave them everything that they needed to survive. According to verses, verse 31, he saw everything what he had made, and it was good. Finally, it was the seventh day. All God did that day was he rested. God ended what he had done. He sat back, saw what he had done, and blessed and sanctified it. My next point is the proof I, it's the proof that God is the one that created the world and not evolution. It is obvious that there is no other way that the world could have been created. Saying that there were monkeys and that they changed into people is ridiculous. If that was the case, then people would still be changing from monkeys into people. Evolutionists say that there was a big, big bang and then everyone started forming. Genesis 2.7 says that, that man was formed out of dust. If man was formed out of dust, the ground, if man was formed out of dust from the ground, then there's no way man could have evolved out of monkeys. It took God to create man. Evolutionists don't believe in creation because they it would have taken they say it would have taken longer than 6 days for this world to be created. But they don't understand the power of God's word. Exodus 20.11 says it only took God six days to create the world. Evolutionists could not create this world in two million years. No matter how much time they had, they could never create this world. But God could have have created everything in one day, but he chose to spread it out over six days. That is how much power God's word has. If you will turn to Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That verse is telling us that the word of, our, the word of God will stand forever. Everything on this earth will leave at some point or another. Everything around you that you see right now will not be here at some point. No matter how long this world lasts, everything will be gone. except God's word. It will stay here forever. Amen. No matter what the case is. If you will, turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, Thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's words are scriptures. The verse is telling us that God's word is profitable for correction, which is it is the change for the better. It also says that God's word is profitable for instruction in righteousness, which is teaching us the right way to live. Do you want to go to heaven? If you want to go to heaven, you must follow God's inspired word. We notice today that inspiration is where the power is. Will you follow God's word? Thank you.
1: Proverbs three, verses five and six: "Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Good evening. Before I get into my lesson, I'd also like to thank the elders for letting the young men of the congregation lead your worship service tonight. Tonight, I'd like to speak on the subject of God gives guidance. I base this sermon from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Now, if you turn your Bibles to this verse and follow along with me as I read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be worsting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. In verse 5, we're brought to our first point in which is we have to trust in God's guidance. Verse five says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding." When he says we have to trust in him with all of his heart, that means we have to give him everything that we have to the Lord. Matthew twenty five thirty twenty two thirty seven says, "Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord with thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind." Trust is to have faith in something. As Hebrews eleven one states, "Now faith is the substance of things hoped for." The evidence of things not seen, which means that we must trust in the guidance, even though it can't be clearly seen with the eye or evident. Also, we cannot go by what we know, but we have to go by God's word, which is why we're told to study our Bible daily, like it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just because it sounds like a good idea doesn't mean that it really is. For example, teens that go to parties on weekends where alcohol and drugs and other lustful acts are present are present may be appealing to their eyes, but we are told to stay away from these things in Galatians 5:19-21. We have to speak to God th- to God through prayer. In turn, He speaks to us through the Bible. He tells us what is right and wrong and how to live our life for him and answer questions that we often have through His word. This brings us to our next point of that we have to follow God for guidance. In verses 6 through 8, it states, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Mark 1.18 says, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. These men left the only thing they knew and had been brought up doing their whole life to follow a man that they had just met and learned about the study of his word is is the way in which he directs our paths but we can't just study his word we also have to listen and follow what we have been told to do in this book for example young children have to obey their parents they have to listen and follow them when they tell them something to do in verse 6 when it says in all thy ways that means everything we do we have to acknowledge him In Colossians three seventeen, it says, "And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him." Being wise in your own eyes means that you think that you know everything, but no one knows everything because you can always learn. This will, these things will lead to sin and destruction. The Book of Proverbs chapter twelve verse fifteen states the way of the fool is right in his own eyes but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise meaning a fool is right to himself only through his own eyes while someone who listens to the counsel and follows it is truly good unto God fearing the Lord and staying away from the path of sin and wickedness in the second part of verse 7 it says it says Fear the Lord and depart from evil, meaning listen to the Lord and take heed to what he is saying to you and take evil out of your life. It shall be health to thy navel means the fear of the Lord is our spiritual nourishment, while marrow to thy bones indicates that the fear of the Lord will help you have a strong Christian body. Our next point is giving back because of God's guidance. Verses 9 and 10 state, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Give back to the Lord a portion of what you have earned. Genesis 14.20 says, And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave them tithes of all. In the Old Testament, they were required to give back a tithe of what they had earned. On top of that, some also gave sacrifices. Some people gave even more than that. In the New Testament, we are told to give as we have prospered. 1 Corinthians, 16, 1, and, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 states, Surely we can give back 10% of what we have to the Lord. Giving him the first fruits of all your produce is giving to him the best of what you have. When you give back to the Lord, he will give back to you in return. The The vats were bursting with wine, and their barns were filled with plenty, as it says in verse 10. Also, we must be corrected in God's guidance. As it says in Verses 11 and 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Don't look down upon his correction because it is good for you. Job 5.17 states, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. When your parents correct you or tell you what is right and wrong, They tell you this because it will help you for the rest of your life to choose what is right and wrong. Also, we can't be unsatisfied with his reproof. In the book of Jonah, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to speak to the people there. When Jonah hears this, he's not satisfied with what God has told him to do. Therefore, he went on his own way. God did not tell him this to have a bad outcome or to harm Jonah, but to teach the people of Nineveh the word of God. The Lord doesn't correct you just because he wants to punish you, but also he does it because he loves you. Like a father corrects his son because he loves him with all of his heart. Deuteronomy 8, 5 states, Thou shalt also consider it in thine heart that as much a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Parents correct their children, not just for punishment, but also because they love them. Nine times out of ten, it will break a parent's heart to correct their child, but they know in the back of their mind they're doing the right thing because they love their child with all of their heart, just as God loves us with all of His. As we've learned in this lesson, we have to trust in God's guidance, we must follow God's guidance, we must give back because of God's guidance, and accept correction through God's guidance. The only way to receive God's guidance is the study of the Scriptures. Are you going to study that you can receive God's guidance? Thank you.
0: Great reading this evening will be read from James... 1, 2, through 4. James 1, 2, through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing.
2: The definition of patience is the ability to accept or tolerate. A couple other words that would help you think of patience would be endurance and long-suffering. A couple biblical definitions would be, well, if you would, turn to Colossians chapter 1 verses 11, please. Colossians 1.11, and it says, Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and, long- and long-suffering, with joyfulness. Another example would be Galatians chapter five, verses twenty two. Galatians chapter five, verse twenty two. And it says But the fruitful but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Last example is first Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 14. And it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort, the the feeble-minded, the support, the weak, be patient toward all men. Three people that come to mind of patience is Paul, Joseph and Job first we have Paul and I entitled this as God's patience with Paul in Acts 9 verses 1 and 2 we see that well he's known as, Paul, as Saul now he's trash talking God's people he's saying all manner of evil against them and to be honest if we were to ask saul what is one of your main hobbies you know what he'd probably say killing christians i want to rid the world of christians that's my hobby and then you go oh i collect hats i don't want to mess with you but next we see in verses three through nine that saul has already gathered papers he went to the high priest and he said, if I see any Christians, I'm gonna take them into Jerusalem, bound them, men or women, I don't care. So he's on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden there's a great light that appears, and he's thrown off his horse or his wagon, whatever he's riding in, and he sees this great light, and all of a sudden he hears, Saul, Saul, why thou persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And Saul's in shock. He said, what must I do? What would you have me do, Lord? Because he's scared out of his mind. All of a sudden you see this great light, and then you hear a voice saying, you're persecuting me. So Jesus commands him to go into Damascus and wait for one Ananias. He said, there is a devout man, Ananias, and he will tell you what you need to do. So for three days, he has no sight. He's not eating anything. he is not drinking anything. So he's very weak. He goes to Ananias. The men who are with him guide him there. And he said, God has chosen you to be a Christian. He wants you to join his work. And he says, why tarryst? Arise and be baptized. And so Saul arises, he is baptized, he is taught of God, and now he is known as Paul, who we all know is a great Christian and one who has converted many lost souls. Next example is Joseph. Joseph shows his patience with man. And of course, we all know this story. We know that his brothers hated him because he was Jacob's favorite son. Jacob loved him more than any of his other sons. And we see this because Jacob makes him a coat of many colors. And if you have a coat of many colors, you're high up there. You know, you're pretty liked up there. You're high on the totem pole. Well, his brothers didn't like that, especially with him being so young. So they plan against him. They're like, man, I don't like this guy. Well, as we see in verse, in verse 5 in Genesis 37, we see that Joseph falls, into, falls, falls asleep, and he has a dream. And he sees in this dream that his family is bowing down to him. They're worshiping him because he is a ruler. He's high above them. And he goes, cool. I'm going to go tell them what I just dreamed about. So he tells them, oh, they don't like that anymore. They don't, they, oh. he doesn't li- they don't like him one bit. One, they already hate him because their father, his, their father loves him more. So they're like, well, that's not fair. And now you think that we're going to bow down to you and worship you? He's lost his mind. No, no. God. Made, made him dream that. God is telling him his plan. So later we see in chapter 37, verse 26, that they're conspiring against him. They're like, we've got to get rid of him. I'm sick of him. And they're like, well, let's kill him. No, they don't want to kill him now. He, he's their brother. They don't want that in their gut. They don't want that on their conscience, thinking we just killed one of our family members. So they see this group traveling by and they go, let's sell him. He's out of our hair. We don't have to worry about him. We didn't kill him, but he's gone. So they're like, let's do it. So they sell him and they're like, whew, we're done. He's gone. You know, he probably won't even survive the trip. So they're thinking, hey, we're good. We're all set to go. Let's live on with our lives. So then they kill the lamb take the, his coat of many colors, rip it, dip it in the blood, tell their father, sorry, but he, he's dead. So the father grieves, the brothers are happy, and Joseph goes into Egypt. He's a slave now, and thrown into prison. And later we see that the Pharaoh of Egypt has a dream. He's confused about this dream and wants to know what's going on. And Joseph is the only one who can interpret it. And so we see he progresses and the Pharaoh likes him and makes him ruler over a bunch of land. Back to his dream. God said he would be a ruler. And because Joseph was patient, slowly waiting, going with the flow, God's prophecy came true. Because Joseph was patient, he was made a ruler. Next, we have Job. If you would turn to Job chapter 1. And we see here that Job is a very wealthy man. He has everything a man could want: he has land, he has crops, he has servants, he has cattle. He's got the life set before him. He's, he's living good. And he's got a huge family. He couldn't be happier. Job 1, verse 12, we see that the devil wants to tempt him. God allows him to tempt him, but he says, don't you hurt him. He said, you can test his faith in any way you want, but don't you lay a finger on him. So we see He's out. And then he has servants come to him one at a time saying, you've lost this. They're dead. His cattle gone, crops destroyed. He's lost everything. But the worst thing about it is he lost his family. That was the most devastating thing to him. And you know the first thing he did? He went out, he rent his clothes, he shaved his head, he sat down, and he worshiped God. He prayed to God. Now of all the parents that we have here, would you, the first thing that you, you've just heard, that you've lost everything. You've lost your family. You've lost your wealth, your life. Would you really sit down and worship God? Or would you curse him? Would you say, why me? What have I done to you? I've lived faithfully this long. I'm a devout Christian. Would you really sit down and worship God? Job did. He showed his faith through his patience. He knew that God would come through in the end. He knew that God would help him. And he did. He was restored with everything that he had lost. But he sat down and worshipped him. He was patient. In conclusion, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Here we see that Jesus was patient. He endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself. If you would, let's read verse 2 of chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God Jesus saw what was set before him and he endured the cross and he was patient he knew what was coming he knew what was set before him and he slowly brought lost souls to Christ to God through his word, through his father's word and he was patient because he knew that one day was coming he knew he was going to be crucified on that cross and die for all of us and without that brethren we wouldn't have a chance if you are lost and would like to become a Christian we can take care of that if you are a Christian, you haven't been living the Christian life. Please come, and we will pray for you. We'll pray with you. First, you need to hear Romans 10:17. You need to believe John 8:24. You need to repent of your sins Acts 2:38. You need to confess that Jesus is the Son of the Living God Matthew 10:32. And you need to be baptized into Christ. Acts twenty two sixteen. If you would, please come now as we stand and sing.